This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. Hey guys, Jeremy here with Simple Little Life, and welcome to episode number four of the Simple Little Life podcast. I've got a fairly quick little topic to discuss today. I hope you're doing well. Hopefully you're uh, staying sane, healthy, motivated in these crazy times that we're living in. Um, Springtime here is a super busy time of year, and I was actually checking like I was kind of putting off mowing certain parts of our property. Uh, we've got like the lawn, lawn part, and then we've also got a part that's kind of just native prairie grass. And I usually cut that a couple times a year, uh, two or three. And uh, I'd been putting it off, and I'm not even joking. In the last week, it has probably grown about two feet high. Um, some of the places I was cutting down, the grass was like four feet tall. <laughs> it was really, really crazy. So uh, I've been doing that over the weekend and it's incredible when you have, when you have a little piece of property, I mean, it's a wonderful thing, but even just keeping it half presentable, it's so much work. It's unbelievable. I remember when we were thinking about moving out to the country, my parents, they said, oh, you just, just wait, we wait. It's so much work. You're not going to believe how much work you'll have to do. And I, yeah, I kind of thought it might be true, but oh, it, it's incredible. It probably takes us about 20 hours a week just maintaining our property in the summertime. Wintertime depends on the snow. It's a lot less than that, obviously, but it's exciting. It's a really exciting time. And here I think we have a super, super intense growing season. In fact, we only had our garden in a couple of weeks ago and it's already starting to come up like crazy. Uh, we're getting gorgeous rains every day, almost like a nice downpour and then hot and, and sunny. Uh, today we're like 20. 25 degrees Celsius, which I don't know what that is, maybe like 80 Fahrenheit. I don't know for sure, but it's uh, it's been super, super busy around here and uh, we're just keeping busy, enjoying our little piece of paradise out here. Oh, I hope I hope you're doing well and uh, man, it's just, uh, I, I try not to listen to the news lately because I don't even know what to make of it, but we're not going to discuss that too much. What I've been thinking about lately and the, the topic I would like to explore in this episode is the idea, the comparison between function over form or form over function. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately in regards to my knife making. And, and this applies to everything, right? So in this case, we're going to keep it within the, uh, the confines of knife making just to give us something to kind of ground these ideas to. And you know, I think as you progress in whatever skill you're learning, whether it be knife making or woodworking, anything, you know, there comes a point when you make your very first knife or whatever the thing is that you make and that, that excitement when you realize that, wow, I actually made something that, that cuts. I made a useful tool. The thing that you set out to build, you have it. It's very, very satisfying and it's, it's really exciting. And there's a certain sense where I was wondering if you only get that one time. I remember the very first knife I ever made. Uh, I made it from an old file. And we'd put the kids to bed. I finished this thing up. And my wife and I were having a, a glass of wine on our back deck. This was before we lived out in the country. We lived in town. And I just remember holding this thing and staring at it. And we were talking and just chatting how the day was. It was a beautiful evening. And my wife just kept watching me staring at this knife, holding this knife, moving it from my hand to my other hand. And, and it's just, it's incredible. And that excitement, and I was just so thrilled that I made a knife that cut. 
And uh, I, I just remember that excitement. I was like, wow, this is incredible. And I was wondering if that's something you only get once. But I don't think you do. I think, you know, you go from your very first knife, we call it a knife-shaped object, and you, say, try a different grind or a completely different handle, or if you try a hidden tang for the first night, for the first time, there's that excitement that you get, that like, wow, I did this again. And it's kind of a perpetual thing as long as you keep pushing yourself, as long as you try and keep moving that bar. And I was also thinking, um, there kind of comes a point once you get a nice grind figured out and you've got a, a nice usable blade, it works well, then you kind of focus more on the aesthetics of the knife. You know, what can I do to make this look more beautiful? And I also wonder sometimes how much you should be spending on either of those, on, on both of those. And I think for me personally, it kind of comes in waves. I'll want to try a new grind, um, maybe new blade profile and, and something, you know, grind thinner, you know, when you, when I think one thing you do when you progress in knife making is you start getting towards thinner knives. And once you get those down, it's really exciting, you know, cause you're focusing on the function and you get it to work really well. And then once you kind of have that down, I find at least for myself, I'll often transition to the form, right? Like, okay, how can I make this how can I make this look a little bit better? And then there's also the relationship that form and function have to each other. You know, there's a certain sense where you can look at a blade and tell just by the way it looks, its lines, how it's going to function. And sometimes to create a knife that functions a certain way, that dictates its form. It's a, a very interesting relationship. And I've, I've been thinking a lot about it a lot for the last several months. Um, when I was doing the viewers knives segments on my YouTube channel, I, I haven't done any of those for a long time. Uh, probably the main reason for that is that they take so long. They probably take eight hours per episode and I just, I have not had time to make any of those, but it's interesting because people will send me photos of their knives. Uh, often they'll give a little backstory behind them and I can see, I can sort of tell whether they were more focused on the function of the blade or the form of the blade, the way that it looked. And I, I've noticed something, that, and this is just a small percentage, but I've noticed when I pay attention to new makers starting out and they kind of make a knife, I notice a lot of them will right away focus on, okay, I need some really exotic handle materials. And they'll kind of focus on making it more beautiful and looking at their blades, you can kind of tell, say, yeah, you know, that's an incredibly well finished knife, but my word, it's awfully thick. And then again, there's a... Some of that comes down to your personal preference as well. Um, I make a Gyuto knife and it is really, really thick. And by all means, you know, for most uh, standards of what a Japanese Gyuto is, mine's definitely on the thick side. But then there's also the personal preference, right? Um, when I use a knife, I mean, I'm a, I'm a fairly big guy. I'm strong. I don't mind a slightly thicker blade because, I mean, I can handle it, right? The weight of the knife has never bothered me. But then if you get someone that's smaller, you know, and they've got a big heavy knife, like my Gyuto I make is actually quite heavy. I could definitely see that being cumbersome and something that other people wouldn't like. And you compare that to, say, these, I've bought in some really nice Japanese handmade knives, and they are like, they're so thin. They're so light. They're like featherweight. And it's amazing the difference, right? And Again, it all depends, you know, if you're spending hours with a knife, if you're a, a sous chef and you're prepping stuff for hours before the restaurant opens or something, you're going to want a fairly wieldy knife, right? 
But if you're a guy like me, who's like, you know, I cook supper maybe once a week or something, and I usually do breakfasts on the weekends, I don't mind hauling something that's got some girth to it, right? I, I kind of like that. I, I talked to one gentleman the other day, I was at a parts store, and he's talking about, he loves to barbecue, and his favorite barbecue knife was a machete that he <laughs> sharpened up. And there's a certain thing, you know, he's not doing that all the time, but when he's cutting open a brisket or a side of ribs, you know, some people just want that, uh, that big meaty solid piece of steel that's got some girth to it. It's just a very interesting concept. And I find that personally, I have to force myself to bring both of those ideas into the same project. Often I'll have an idea for a knife and I know exactly how it wants to look and then I'll make it. And then I'll use it. And I'm like, well, this is really odd. You know, I get a comment a lot. I'm not, you may have seen the video I did about my chunky monkey knife. And it's actually a very popular knife. But I get asked a lot, what, what would you use that knife for? And to tell you the truth, that was a knife that I built purely for how it would look. I mean, it, it's sharp. It's got a really tall grind on it. So it cuts well. But it is a quarter inch thick blade. But the design, the purpose behind that knife was to have something that looked formidable. Right. I wasn't designing it to be a super, you know, even for like bushcrafting stuff, it'd be a pretty terrible blade because it's way too thick. It's a two inch, two inch tall blade. Um, but it's interesting when we approach our knife builds, I think the more, the more I go through knife making, the more knives I make, the more I kind of focus on both aspects. You know, you could have a really beautiful, beautiful knife that's finished off really well, but when you're using it, you know, it, it might have drawbacks. At the same time, you could make a knife that is just a gem to use, just slices, it's super thin, beautiful grinds on it, and you could put a dowel on it with some duct tape, call it a handle, and it would work just fine. It it might be a better working knife than something with a gorgeous handle with a slightly less appropriate blade thickness. Interesting concepts to think about, and it relates to other areas as well. And the one thing that I notice is that the more you dive into a particular field, whether it be knife making or, you know, take motorcycles, for example, or bicycles, you know, I can look at a bicycle and I can be like, oh, that, that would be a really great bike. And then I'll look at a bike and, uh, you know, go to the bike shop and see these things. I'm like, oh, that, that's a sweet looking bike, but that would be horrible to ride. You need to adjust this, do this, do this and all this stuff. And so there's a certain sense where when you get more versed in a subject matter, you can quickly look at something and see how the form would affect its function. You know, you can look at a knife. If, if you can kind of see like a, you know, a 360 view of a knife, you can see the grind, how thick the spine is, if there's any distal taper, how thick the handle is, where the handle tapers. Uh, you can kind of see, oh yeah, you know what, that thing would actually be fantastic. This would be great for a pinch grip. Or you know what, I think for myself, I see hot spots in that handle. And it's interesting that the... The more I delve into knife making or anything for that matter, the more I realize how tight of a relationship form and function have. And it's just really, really interesting, you know, so we can, we can focus so much on the form, make sure it looks good, you know, put exotic pins in or Damascus steel, do everything to make the blade look good. But I wonder, and for myself, the reason I, I bring this up is I do know for a fact that, that I focused more on how the blade looks than how it performs. I mean, I had good heat treat and all that stuff, and my knives are all sharp. But when you think about the real nitty gritty down to it, does this thing work really, really well? 
And it's a very interesting concept to think about. Uh, something that's in the forefront of my mind now with every knife that I make. Obviously, you know, people are buying a handmade knife. They want it to look good. They want it to be finished well. But I find myself more interested in how to make both form and function come together. And that to me is when you really kind of dial in the beauty of a knife. Because if you've got a knife that works really well, you'll be able to see that just by looking at it. And, you know, you can see these clunky knives that are just fantastically done, beautiful, whatever. It's just very, very interesting. And then I had the same kind of conversation in my mind with Damascus Steel. And I, I need to caveat this because I am not by any stretch um, taking anything away from Damascus. It is an incredible art form. Personally, I have yet to make a knife with any Damascus steel. I have Damascus steel that several people have given me, um, but I've never actually made a knife with it yet. And for me, I mean, if you look at the history of Damascus steel, it was definitely more function than form, right? They, they didn't do it so it would look good. They do it so they could save their resources. They could use less really good quality steel and kind of mix it in with some lower quality steel when it was hard to get steel. And that's kind of how Damascus came about. And now it has become such an incredible art form. And I had the, a few comments I've had before. People are saying, oh yeah, but if you want a really good blade, you need to use Damascus steel. And I got thinking about the relationship between form and function. And obviously there's so many different types of Damascus. And, and this is going to kind of not include San Mai steel, where you've got a high carbon core and then you fold some other steel, whether it be a stainless steel or a lower carbon steel on the outside. Typically that's done so that you can leave that high carbon steel really, really hard and protect it with a softer metal on the outside. But when we're talking about Damascus, where you actually fold the different layers together, you know, somebody said, uh, even in person, I've had somebody say, oh, well, you should make some Damascus ones. Those are the best deal. And this is, a, this is something that nobody really talks about. And, and in a certain sense, it's contentious, but in a certain sense, it's not. I think Damascus steel, when you have a Damascus steel, you can really only heat treat for one of the steels, especially when you get the fold of Damascus that comes right down to the edge. I mean, you have two different metals there. Each one of them has an optimal, optimum heat treating recipe. And you could either treat for a particular part of it, one or the other, or a conglomeration, kind of go halfway between what might work for both. But I think when it comes down to it, and this is, this is really going to put me in some hot water. This is, this, is, <laughs> this is an unpopular topic, I think. But I do believe that Damascus steel typically would be an inferior blade to a, a mono steel, for the simple fact that the metallurgy behind it, the science behind it, is that you can't get optimal heat treat out of two different types of steel at the same time in the same blade. So you're sacrificing something. Now, with that said, when you think about, you know, if you get a good quality Damascus blade that's been properly heat treated. I mean, that thing is going to work really well. It's going to work for years and years and years. And there's a certain point where, you know, people get nitpicky and, and they kind of go back and forth over heat treat recipes and this and that. But ultimately, you know, there's a certain sense where you get a knife that's really good. And then above that is just kind of like, uh, like a little persnickety, like ah, just that much better. And I think you can get Damascus steel really good. I, I, I guess I maybe I don't really have any authority to talk on this because I've never heat treated Damascus steel before. 
But just from an outsider looking at this, and from a person who gets comments all the time saying, oh, that's no good because it's a monosteel. It's just a very interesting way to look at it. And, and Damascus is so good looking. I mean, if you take a knife and you've got a beautiful Damascus in there, it's going to look nicer than a monosteel. I just think that's, that's kind of how it is. But ultimately, I think if you're truly honest and you look at the facts and, and the science and the metallurgy, you, you're more likely to get a better blade if you get really fussy with your heat treats. You can get to that persnickety level with a monosteel that isn't even available to a Damascus blade. Now, I'm, I'm interested to hear your thoughts, your comments. Um, I Again, I don't know much about Damascus. So I don't really have a lot of authority to talk about this. But that is a, a subject that comes up when I think about form over function. You know, because people say, ah, it's, it's going to function better if it's a Damascus blade. And I, I think that's a big misunderstanding that a lot of people that don't know, they have. And again, I don't want to take anything away from Damascus because it is incredible. I've got a piece of Damascus from Bob Rankin that I'm saving. Uh, I've got a few others for some, from some great makers. And I'm just trying to figure out what knife I want to build. These are going to be knives for myself. And I've drawn so many different blade profiles on these pieces of steel, but they just haven't spoken to me yet. And then there's the other thing is, you know, the pattern I can see it in a flat bar stock. Once I grind it down, it's probably going to look a lot different. But it's just interesting to think about that and, and, and knife making in general. And most things, you know, even furniture, you know, a, a chair has to be something you can sit on. Now, to get it comfortable is one thing. To get it comfortable and to look really good that takes a whole different level. And I think the better that you get at any particular skill set, the more tightly you can interweave form and function so that the object, whatever you're making, works really well, but also looks really well. And, and conversely, I think when you're starting out, sometimes you can focus so much on how it looks that you negate thinking about the fact of how it actually performs. And that was my mistake, definitely. Uh, and I think most people, when they get into knife making, they want a knife that looks good, right? They want to be able to put a picture up on the social media and have people like, ooh, wow, that's a great looking blade. But how does it actually function? That's where the rubber meets the road. You know, I have, I've had email requests, people saying, uh, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a, I'm a father of four. I don't have a large budget. Uh, could you make me a a bushcrafting knife that I could use. And I'll tell them, I'll say, you know what, if you want, if, if you're on a tight budget and you don't have a lot of money to spend, uh, I would get a Mora, you know, get a Mora knife, uh, a companion or whatever. Those are great blades. He's like, yeah, but they just look so, hmm, hmm, hmm. And it's true, right? They look like a very simple utilitarian knife. But from a function standpoint, they're top notch. They work so well. They do what they're supposed to do. And it's very interesting how, you know, the more a knife company, they focus more on their function and they make it utilitarian. They put a plastic handle on it. And it's just a really interesting concept. Something, something I encourage you to think about for a bit uh, when you're making knives, you know, obviously we want to make the best looking knives. And this, this isn't even talking necessarily about how we finish our blades, uh, you know, making sure that everything is, is done to the highest standard that we could possibly do. But even the whole, you know, the geometry of the blade Sometimes you just grind in a bevel and say, oh yeah, that's totally sweet. It's nice and even. It looks beautiful. My plunge line's great. A nice sweeping curve there on the, the grind line. But is it actually going to function well when you use it? How's it going to work? You could make a knife that had terrible grind lines, 
but it was ground for proper geometry, just was kind of maybe sloppy, not quite even. And it would work really, really well, maybe even better than a knife that you spend a lot of time perfecting the surface finish of, but you didn't really worry about the geometry too much. Interesting concept, interesting to kind of think about form and function, how you can bring them as close together as possible. Anyways, that was the main topic. Again, this is a quick little episode. I'm still working on the technology. I need to buy a little bit more gear, I think, so I can start doing some interviews of people. And I've got quite a few little interviews lined up. I'm looking forward to those interesting folks to talk about. And then I'm also trying to line up some in-person podcasts with some makers that I know locally. Uh, I think those have a real special dynamic when you can actually see the person face-to-face, be in the same room. And then obviously with these restrictions being lifted somewhat, at least where I'm at, uh, I think we do have the ability to do in-person podcasts soon. So Um, I was going to, well, I'd like to try and give a recommendation at the end of every every podcast. And this one's going to be similar to the one I did last year, uh, last week, sorry. Uh, It's not making related at all, but it is a YouTube channel that I really, really enjoy. And the YouTube channel is called Steve Wallace. He's actually from, so he lives just outside of Edmonton, Alberta now. And so that's a couple hours from me. And he does these crazy videos where he'll do stealth camping, like in city parks. And he tries not to get caught. Um, he did one and actually got him a spot in the news, in the Edmonton news. He stealth camped at the airport long-term parking in the back of his car. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. He went in there for the night and uh, he always has this thing. He does a step number two, which is a beer. So step number one is setting up your, your campsite, your hammock, whatever he's sleeping in. Uh, step number two is cracking a beer. And, uh, you know, he pushes it a little bit. There's certain areas that he uh, enjoys a little brewski that he's definitely not allowed to be doing that. But very interesting. I, I remember I started watching him when he had about 45,000 subscribers. And that was only like maybe six months ago. His channel is just, it's blown up. I don't know what he's at now, maybe like 150,000 subscribers huge views. Uh, but just, uh, just, uh, you know, a middle-aged guy, he's a, a gas fitter by trade and he just runs a camera and takes you out camping with him. His philosophy is you don't need all the fancy expensive gear. And uh, it's just very interesting. It's one of these, uh, channels that when the videos come out, you, you just give yourself the time that it takes to see how long the video is and be like, okay, I've got, a, I've got a half an hour here. I'm just going to watch this. And somehow he keeps your attention start to finish. Uh, I don't know if he's ever put music in them. He's not, you know, all this suave editing and all this fancy cinematography, but really engaging, interesting, interesting videos. I really, really enjoy them. So Steve Wallace, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, SimpleLittleLife.ca is the website. I've actually just revamped that website. I'm still doing some work on it there. But uh, yeah, so hopefully, I'm really hoping that the next episode will be an interview with somebody. And I hope you guys are doing well. Um, crazy, crazy, crazy times. We're not going to get into them on this podcast, but, um, yeah, it's wild out there. Anyways, I wish you all a wonderful week. Enjoy making stuff, get out to your shop and maybe while you're making things, whatever it be, even when I'm working on my bicycles, you know, I I want something that's going to fit right, but I also want it to look good, you know? And so you're always trying to find a balance. And, uh, I think the more tuned you get things, the closer form and function, they marry each other and they become like, ah, it's like one perfect harmony of form and function. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a wonderful day. Cheers. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.